When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Football Social Daily. Keeping you up to date with the latest from the English top flight. This is Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast keeping you in the loop with absolute definitive results that you don't have to stay up all night for watching the news to find out. I'm Jim Salverson and we've got Ian Brannan on the podcast today. Morning, Ian. Hello. And alongside him is Tom Williams. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, I'm good, Jim. Thank you very much. So we're in the middle of a European week in terms of the Premier League. So that's going to be the focus on today's podcast. City and Liverpool, both impressive scorelines against their European opposition. But did the performances match the outcomes? We'll talk about that shortly. Plus, Bobby Firmino. Should he be a little bit worried about the form of Diogo Jota right now? We're also going to be looking ahead to tonight's Champions League games, Chelsea and Manchester United both in action and there's two managers there who have already been under some early pressure in the Premier League this season so maybe a little bit of European glory will help take the heat off there. Also later, speaking of managers under pressure, today's floodlight focus is on West Bromwich Albion. We're going to be talking to Sarah from Proud Baggies in a little bit about their chances of survival and about Slaven Bilic's chances of staying in a job until the end of the season that's coming up towards the end of today's podcast but let's kick off with Liverpool and City who were both in action last night starting with Manchester City they were playing Olympiacos they won 3-0 in the end but Ian did that scoreline flatter Manchester City should it have been far more straightforward than it actually turned out to be? Yes, I think in one word, three um, 0 obviously a decent scoreline on the surface of it. But when you look at the chances that that City had that they that they missed, uh, you know it could easily have been five or six. You know, similar to the, to the Liverpool match, uh, and also the, you know Olympiacos had their chances as well. Uh, so it, as much as it could have easily, easily ended six 0 it could have ended two two, three three, or or even you know they could have ended up losing it. It was. It was one of those games that could have gone either way. It didn't go either way. Um, but yeah, they, they certainly, I think certainly in the second half, the start of the second half, um, you know, their, their level dropped and, and let Olympiacos in a little bit more than probably uh, Jürgen, uh, than uh, Pep Guardiola would like. There seems to be a bit of a pattern emerging with the way Manchester City are playing at the moment, Tom, in that for the first 20 minutes or so, they look like the old Manchester City. They have that kind of swashbuckling quick passing approach and then after that 20 minutes they they just sort of slow right down and let the opposition back into the game and it turns into a bit of a battle I mean 
if you could answer this, you'd probably be Manchester City manager. <laughs> but why? <laughs> I've no idea, Jim. Um, I wish I did know, because then, like you say, I'd, I'd, I'd unseat Pep Guardiola. Um, I, I think, to be perfectly honest, um, I think they're feeling the pressure a little bit more this season. I know the last season they were sort of the reigning champions, but Liverpool came straight out of the blocks. Um, this season they've not started you know, in the way that you'd expect from, from Manchester City. Uh, so I think... Um, <clears throat> The confidence is, is a little bit, I'm not going to say the confidence is shattered, I think that's overkill, but I think the confidence is wobbling slightly. Um, and also bear in mind that you know Pep Guardiola has been around the Premier League now for a few years. Um, and it's, it's less of a case of, of teams catching up to Man City, but I think teams are starting to understand a little bit better now they've played his side a few times, how to, how to do better. Um, and, and I don't know if I'm just imagining this, but whenever I've seen Man City play this season, I don't feel like they've been as fit as they have been in the past. Um, and it, it mm. just seems to me like that perhaps, you know, the the restart of last season, the season spread, stretching so far into the summer, and then, you know, for them to be competing in the European competition as well meant that they were playing more games. So it feels like perhaps some of their players are just a little bit tired and could do with a couple of weeks on the beach. Um, so... You know, I don't necessarily think that they are um, having a, a massive confidence, um, you know, disaster. But I do think that fitness looks an issue. And I do think that perhaps teams are starting to understand a little bit better what what they need to do to compete against Manchester City. If that is the case, Ian, does that mean Pep Guardiola's in one? And we talk a lot about cycles in football, how managers and teams go through these three-year cycles and then need to reinvent their playing staff and reinvent the way they approach games. Is that where Pep Guardiola is at the moment? Does he actually potentially for the first time, need to address what he's doing as a football manager and look to change his approach. I think we talked about this um, you know, one, one or two times in the past about um, Pep Guardiola and where he's at at the moment and is he suddenly a, you know, a, a, a bad manager or a different manager. And I think he is just in that transition. You know, They've got a few new signings, slightly younger squad than he's had. Um, and yeah, I, I think... Perhaps, though, on, on the upside, as a result of that, maybe there's less expectation on Man City this year and maybe they can go about their business, certainly in the Champions League, maybe not so much in the Premier League because everybody expects them to win every week in that, but in the mm. Champions League, when, when, when you look at the other teams like you know Bayern Munich and, and Liverpool and uh, you know maybe being some of the favourites for, for the tournament this year, maybe Man City can slightly go along uh, under the radar a little bit more than maybe they have in the past um, previous years because of that maybe uh you know pressure off sort of attitude and um and and, and that transition and, and maybe they might get going as the tournament goes because of course they're doing very well in the champions league and um you know pretty much um, almost qualified for the for the next round i think so yeah you know i think that yeah that they are in a transition but um i think that there's still there's still some life in in, in the old dog yet it seems almost crazy that we're trying to pick negatives out of a performance where Manchester City have actually oh, we, yeah. won 3-0. We're picking negatives out of it, but they're three points clear at the top of their group, I think. Yeah, I know. It's very I mean, it's it's very typical, isn't it, of the way we approach football nowadays and the expectations on Manchester City that if they don't play, win 7-0 and blow the opposition away, then that's somehow a bad performance for them. But there were positives last night, not least the 3-0 win. Ferran Torres, particularly, who got the first goal quite early on, what have you made of his cameo appearances since he's joined Tom? Because he looks like he could be a hell of a signing. And there wasn't much expectation on him, I don't think, but he seems to be excelling. Yeah, I mean, by Manchester City standards, he was relatively cheap, wasn't he? Sort of 20, 20 million quid, yeah. something like that. So, um, you know, he's 
he is looking good. He's very young. Um, he's been called up to the, the Spain national team, and you know you have to pretty, be pretty decent to get called up to the Spain, uh, the Spain international squad. So, you know, he's, he's looking like he could be a real quality player. Um, I think this is you know part of that cycle that you've just talked about. Um, I remember watching the Man City documentary a couple of years back, and they were saying you know for every position they want an experienced player and a young player that come in, and it, it seems that that's what what's happening with Torres at the minute. And you know, it's given his age and his, his relative. I don't want to say it's cheap because 20 million quid, I'd take 20 million quid right about now. But, um, you know, considering his relative um, low cost for Manchester City, mm. it looks like a quality signing. Um, so I think that, you know, perhaps you're right. Perhaps that is a transition that they're going through at the minute. And, and these young players, you know, the Phil Foden's, Torres, whoever else can come into the side and start, uh, you know, if it is a fitness issue, then you would expect those types of players to 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 fix that. Mm. Phil Foden, of course, made an error last night that almost cost his team a goal as well, which is quite rare for him for such a young player. Yeah. But it's the other experience young... though, isn't it? It's, um, you know, you, you, I think you allow young players to, to make a few errors because they are just learning the craft and learning the game and the Completely. speed of the game as well. Although it feels like Phil Foden's been around forever now. Which is an interesting spin to put on the career or the Manchester City career of Gabriel Jesus as well, who is still an incredibly young player, but already there's been question marks over whether he is good enough to fit into that Manchester City team and lead that Manchester City line. I think last night for me, and we saw exactly how important he can be, because there is no Aguero, we don't know how long he's going to be out for. Pep Guardiola said himself he's not sure how long his injury is going to keep him on the sidelines for. But Gabriel Jesus came on last night and he managed to get the goal that ultimately changed the game. Absolutely. And I think, as we know, with especially with teams that are playing in Europe, uh, I think um, Pep Guardiola himself was talking about this last week uh, in the press conferences that he had, was that the teams that are that are playing in Europe are the ones that maybe are suffering a little more with, with injuries, uh, with maybe a lack of depth in the squad. And to have a player like that come off the bench and change the game, I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? That's that's what you have the substitutes mm. for. So, yeah, he definitely has a role to play. Is he going to be ideally the, in the in the starting lineup uh, of Pep Guardiola? Then that's that's the doubt, uh, I guess. But you know, he's he's certainly good enough because he proved it last night. Came on in a, in a Champions League game and uh, and immediately made a difference and, and changed the game and made it a, you know a fairly comfortable night for Man City. So yeah, he, he certainly has a place. Um, and yeah, it's back to that whole squad uh, thing that that teams need to have. You know, especially when they're playing with the the um, regularity that they are now as well. Of course, things slightly different this season. The games are coming thick and fast. I think probably a lot of Manchester City fans will be hoping that he is fit enough to start this weekend on Sunday because City do play better with that focal point, in my opinion. That's out-and-out striker at the uh, at the very top. And it's Liverpool on Sunday who will certainly be a formidable opposition because they impressed hugely last night versus Atlanta. Um Jurgen Klopp's first ever win in Italy with Liverpool, that, and it was an impressive win as well. 5-0 was the end result, and it was billed as a real test going into that game, but the fact that it was a test certainly wasn't reflected in that scoreline. What was the story of this one, Tom? Was it that Liverpool were just absolutely brilliant, or was it that the opposition just weren't quite up to the job last night? A bit of both. Um, I can't. Believe, I, I didn't know that that was Pep, uh, Pep Guardiola, wrong team. Uh, Jurgen Klopp's first win in Italy. That's um, that's a good pub quiz question there, isn't it? But um, one that, of those strange little stats. Yeah. I think he's had three previous games with Liverpool in Italy and lost every one. Yeah, I didn't know that. He learns something every day. Um, no, I think uh, <laughs> you know Liverpool were were dominant. They were one five nil. You don't win five nil without being dominant. Um, 
So you do look at the chances. Um, you know, there was a few for Atalanta, but I don't think they ever really looked like they were going to do anything in the game. Um, you know, I've watched the highlights this morning and all of the attacks seem to be coming from Liverpool. Um, they seem to be, you know, back to their free-flowing best, I suppose. Uh, it's almost like now they're back at the top of the Premier League. They've, they've finally realised that they are one of the best teams in, in Europe, in the world. So um, it felt more like the Liverpool side that we know now. Um, so, <clears throat> no, I think... I don't think Atalanta were up to the job and I think Liverpool were just back to, to play in the, the way that you know we know they all can play. Diogo Jota was probably the highlight for a lot of Liverpool fans. He's put some decent performances in since he joined from Wolves for 41 million quid. I don't think anyone expected quite as much from him as maybe he's delivered. And it's difficult to see him now being left out of that starting lineup for me. I don't know if you agree with that, Ian, because Firmino has failed to deliver, I think it's fair to say, so far this season. He's never been that goal-scoring centre-forward, so he's always going to be coming for some criticism. But in terms of his link-up play as well, it's maybe not been quite at the level it has been previously, whereas Jota's come in, scored a hat-trick, and I think he's scored in every appearance he's made for Liverpool now as well. I think there's certainly similarities between the way that Wolves um, certainly would like to play uh, with with how Liverpool do play in terms of that sort of mm. pressing uh, attack that we see from some teams now. And um, and he's obviously settled in very well. And I think it shows what a difference it makes when you're getting the service. And obviously he's getting uh, a lot better service at Liverpool than perhaps he was getting every week at uh, at Wolves. But what he can do is he knows where the goal is. And, and he certainly just knows how to just take that touch, bang, and the ball's in the net. And I think sometimes times that that is the skill is not necessarily knowing where the goal is we all know where the goal is it's being able to just take that immediate chance and, and bury the ball and, and he certainly can do that and, and as you say that um that it hasn't always been the, the the case with with Firmino to do that, and I think yeah, when when you're scoring hat tricks in the Champions League, you're going to be a brave manager to uh, to, to to drop him to the to the bench for a while. I, I don't see that happening at all. I think Jota, you know, um, has has made a fantastic impact since signing. Forty one million quid now looking like excellent value, considering some yeah. people raised a few eyebrows on that fee at the time. For me, kind of adds a little bit of a extra dimension to that Liverpool front three as well, because we know Mane and Salah are both absolutely rapid. Jota's got pace to burn as well. And it's just a terrifying prospect for any team facing a front three with that kind of pace. The other thing that impressed me about Jota, Tom, last night was the first goal. Not only was it a brilliant and incredibly confident finish to just nip it over the keeper when he was through on goal, but also... He had the option to go down in the box under a challenge from the Atlanta defender who seemed to have a hold of his shirt and have his arm across him. He could have easily gone down. And particularly coming off the back of this weekend, we saw Mohamed Salah throwing himself to the floor like he'd been shot when he came into contact with Masuaku, the West Ham defender. We also saw Harry Kane in some kind of weird gymnastic (laughs) backing into a defender to win a penalty. There's certainly a trend, as there has been for a long time, for strikers to go down in the box with even the slightest contact. But you've got to admire Jota last night for staying on his feet and taking his chance. Absolutely. And it's a breath of fresh air. You know, like you say, there's so many instances. It feels like more this season. I don't know if it's 
it's reflective of fans not being in the ground. I don't know why it would be, but it feels like we're talking about this kind of thing every single week mm. at the minute. Um, <clears throat> almost every single game, there's a there's a contentious issue. So I think it's partly VAR that we, we that's yeah. kind of increased our attention on these issues because we now know they can be overturned. So we're now asking questions of why they're not overturned when we're seeing these replays. So I think I'm not sure there's necessarily more. I just think there's maybe more focus on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, you, know, you, you make a very valid point. So, no, I mean, for me, it's, it's a breath of fresh air to see that happen. And, and again, it just shows his quality. You know, he backed himself. He wasn't thinking, I can get an easy penalty here. And, you know, he was backing himself to get the finish. Um, so it shows to me just a player that's cursing with confidence at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it, it's um, it's absolutely, you know, let's see more of that. Um, I'm not sure we will, you know, especially with some of the, the decisions that have been going in favour of the striker so far, <clears throat> excuse me, over the last you know year, year or two since VAR came in. So um, it was really nice to see. I'm hopeful that it's it's something that will happen more. But, you know, it, it comes down to individuals and the decisions that they make in the moment. Um, and, you know, actually, if you're surrounded by players coming into the box and you feel a little tug and you think, well, I'm not going to get a shot away here, um, then, you know, probably would you go down? Because I, you know, I might. Um if I thought there was a chance of getting a penalty and I wasn't going to get the shot away. But as I say, for me, it's more endemic of the confidence that he's got rather than you know necessarily doing the right thing. I think he just backs himself to score and, and so didn't go down. I think that with that, with that though, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That he was one on one with the keeper with an open goal in front of him, twelve yards out when when that sort of tug happened, and obviously he fancied himself one on one. If that penalty area was a little bit more crowded. You know, I could see that maybe I've watched it a few times and I think you can see that little moment where he's deciding what to do mm. <laughs> for me. And I think that, you know, if, if, the, if the shot on goal and, and, and the, the clear chance wasn't so clear cut, what would he have done? That's yeah, the you're question. Right. I mean, the Kane and the Salah uh, incidents that I mentioned, a reference before, they were both in no, they weren't in goal scoring positions. There was no chance, mm. well, it was a very slim chance that they were both going to create opportunities from those positions. I think Salah was out wide and uh, Kane was about to lose the ball right on the edge of the box. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe it's a pure, it's ra- rather than saying Diogo Jota is an honest player, it's, it's more about <laughs> going, ah, well, actually, he had more chance of scoring from the position he was in rather than handing the penalty over to yeah. <laughs> Mane or whoever was going to take it in that incidence. Speaking of confidence, and you mentioned how confident Jota looks at the moment, what's this going to do for Liverpool's confidence? Because they're scoring goals or and there's been question marks over their defensive capabilities without Virgil van Dijk, but they put in a battling display against West Ham at the weekend and they kept a clean sheet in Italy last night. So surely that's going to be a positive for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, look at the goal difference in, in, in the league tables. I mean, it tells you that that, that uh, their defence, whilst it has suffered at the hands of uh, of, of one or two teams, it, you know, they, they are still a very solid unit. And uh, I guess now they're, they're getting used to not having... Uh, Virgil van Dijk in the team as well that um, you know they're probably getting their act together a little bit more um, and they, yeah, they do seem fairly solid that said Atalanta last night were not the sort of uh, attacking force of world football were they you know it was it was sort of a uh, an error mm. of calamities with them both up front I mean they, they could have they could have had a you know a couple of, they had a couple of decent chances I think one of one of them certainly was offside wasn't it and then I think there was a bit of woodwork involved in another one but um, yep. you know it was it was they, were, they weren't great up front and they weren't great at the back but Liverpool were were certainly on their game last night and uh, 5-0 is what happens in that in that sort of situation I think Two decent results for the Premier League teams in Europe and there's two teams that will be hoping they can replicate that tonight. Chelsea and Manchester United both in action in the Champions League and we'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily 
Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to be speaking to Sarah from Proud Baggies in our Floodlight Focus feature shortly. Stick around for that. We'll get the latest from the Midlands. But first, Chelsea and Manchester United, both in Champions League action. Let's start with Chelsea tonight, boys, because they're facing Rennes. And it's been a slow start for Chelsea this season. People expected them to come flying out of the box with some of the signings they made and they spent a decent amount of money in the window but it was a slow start but in recent weeks they seem to have slowly been getting their act together Tom seven goals in the last two games and finally they're starting to look like the team that many people expected them to be they are yeah but I mean let's look at who those seven goals have come against Burnley and a team that I can't even pronounce you know so it's um, <laughs> it's they... oh, so negative Tom you can, you can only beat who you're playing yeah Frank Lampard's Chelsea no, um, no I, th- I think it's um, <laughs> when when they spent so much money in the summer and bought in so many players it was always going to take a little bit of time for those players to gel um, and you know this is now I, I just made a quiff about Frank Lampard's Chelsea but this is now Frank Lampard's Chelsea and uh, it's going to be interesting to see the, the how the team progresses over the course of the season. Um, I, I sort of fancied them at the start of the year to to, to be there, you know, to, to be in the mix, I suppose, for the title, um, just because of the, the quality of players that they brought in. And it feels like they've addressed some of the areas that, um, that the, the manager was lacking confidence in last season. Um, I mean, tonight I fully expect them to win. Um, you know, it's um, I think it, it's not going to be an easy game, but I, I'd expect them to to, to go there and, and, and get a result. Um, but then you look at the games that they've got coming up as well, talking about is this the Chelsea that we, you know, we were expecting and we think they're going to be. They've got a decent run coming up as well. Um, you know, some, some really winnable games there. Uh, mm. So I think that this could be the turning point in their season. Um, and you're right, they, they did have a bit of a suspect start, but that happened last season as well. So... Um, you know, it, it's just a case of, of waiting to see what happens over over the coming weeks. Um, but with the games they've got, I, I'd fully expect them to to really start putting a run of results together now. We know Havertz has been playing well recently. Werner started to get in amongst the goals, but I think for me, one of the biggest signings that has made an impact has been the goalkeeper Edward Mendy, who's going to face his old club for the very first time tonight. How important has he been in terms of an addition into that Chelsea team, Ian? He's certainly been very important. He's, he's been on great form. Um, and I, I think that from reading an interview, I think it was in the press conference yesterday for, for this game um, with Frank Lampard, you know, he alluded to the other side. And I've spoken about this before, about how, yeah, you've got the performances on the pitch and you can be a fantastic footballer. But if you're, if you're not part of the team and the team don't gel you only need one bad apple really to sort of create bad feeling in the dressing room and that can translate on the pitch mm. easily and we, we all know that you know wherever you, you don't have to be a footballer wherever you work if you've got somebody who's not great in the office you know it sort of dampens the atmosphere and and you know it just makes it not a nice place to go and um i'm not saying that kepper has been the bad apple but um frank lampard said that that uh, mendy has been low maintenance uh yeah. he's a hard worker and has been a positive atmosphere around the team. Uh, he didn't say that Kepper wasn't that, but um, it's implied. I'm, I'm reading it? between the lines here. <laughs> yeah. The other interesting thing he said in that press conference when he was talking about Mendy, I thought, was that he's given off a sense of calm, mm. and the idea that having a strong goalkeeper can really affect the way your defence plays, I think, as well for Chelsea. So the defenders, I mean, ultimately. 
obviously they bought in Chilwell and they bought in Thiago Silva, but it's still the same defensive spine, the defensive midfielders and the the back four, with the exception of Chilwell and Silva. But with Mendy behind them, they seem to be playing with so much confidence and so much more. I can't think of the right word, but it, it, it just seems to. It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Mike, yeah, it's, it's almost. Say, like... If you've got a goalkeeper, if you're, if you, I'm surely if you're a defender. Um, I mean, I used to a long time ago. I used to do a um, a football show, believe it or not, with uh, with Emlyn Hughes, and um, there, there was one occasion where where he took his trousers off, but in the middle of the show, which which was the, <laughs> the most unusual part, uh, which we'll talk about another time, I'm sure. But anyway, is this something the solicitors are going to get involved no, with? Well, you? no, not now, <laughs> not now. Um, but um, but yeah, but oh, I mean, I've got my trousers on just to just to clarify. Yeah, so have I, and I'll send a picture over to you, Jim. Um, but uh, yeah, he obviously he was. Was a, a, a defender, um, captained England, and he always used to bang on about how it was important to have a strong goalkeeper because if you're a defender and you know that you've got a goalkeeper who's shaky behind you, it makes the whole defence shaky because you're all you, because you know you can't rely on the keeper to bail you out if you get yourself in a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you've got a keeper that that you know is gonna keep keep you uh, as defenders organized because obviously he's behind you and he can see the the shape and see what you know other things are happening and you know if, if your team's performing well the, the goalkeeper has got you know a fair bit of time on his hands uh, sometimes to to sort of watch the game um and if you know you've got that behind you and you know that the keeper whilst they might not save absolutely everything because keepers can't but if you know that they are well organized and uh, are, are on it and are um you know concentrating and, and keeping everybody right then that makes you as a defender more confident because you know that you're not worrying about the the ball going past you and, and having absolutely no hope in, mm. <laughs> in whatsoever of being saved so yeah I, I it surely will settle the defense down because yeah the keeper is uh you know is is the calming force really in the defense it's it is the literally the you know the safety net isn't it of, of, of the whole thing a couple of key players out for Rennes tonight Daniela Rugani and Eduardo Camavianga both out for the team. Uh, Christian Pulisic is out for Chelsea still. He tweaked his hamstring in the warm-up this weekend, just gone for Chelsea fans. The good news is that injury is not as serious as some first thought. He should be back in action in the next couple of weeks. But Chelsea are 4-11 to favourites on this one. Are the bookies going to get a shock here, Tom, or does it look like a foregone conclusion? No, I think the bookies have got it, Bob. Uh, be perfectly honest. They always I think, do. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think I think it'll be a Chelsea win. Um, I, I think it'll be a, a, a comfortable Chelsea win. So no, I, I think um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see there being, uh, being any shocks or surprises tonight. Istanbul Basakir versus Manchester United is the other Champions League game we're going to touch on, and it's been. A strange one for Manchester United. Really disappointing display for them over the weekend in the loss to Arsenal. And it, it seems to blow hot and cold for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment. They seem to win a game and he's hailed as the Messiah. And the next game they lose and it's Ole out trending on Twitter. So I guess if we're coming off the back of a poor display, this is probably the kind of game that Manchester United are going to want. It looks, on the face of it, fairly winnable, Ian. Well, it should be, and like you say, it could be the perfect tonic for uh, for Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But similarly, if if they if they somehow um, take a pasting in this match, uh, which is unexpected, but you never know, uh, then it will be quite the opposite, I think, and um, load more pressure on. And it was interesting the game at the weekend. 
um, you know, against Arsenal. I mean, I remember when Man United versus Arsenal was like one of the games of the year and there was all the excitement about it. And I think there was all the pre-match excitement about Man United versus Arsenal uh, this this weekend just gone. But as I was assembling my IKEA flat pack furniture whilst watching this game, it, it quickly became apparent <laughs> that the, the flat pack furniture was more interesting than, than watching the match. Mm. And that's not how it should be watching a Manchester United team. You know, they, they, were, they should always, you know, in Alex Ferguson's era and maybe in Mourinho's and, and Van Gaal and, and so on, they were always quite dynamic and had a go. But there was, it just seemed that they were, there was all this excitement about this new formation that Solskjaer was trying at the weekend. And then by half time, it was all out of the window. <laughs> and mm. It was like, well, that plan didn't work. And everybody's washing their hands and not wanting anything to do with it. So, yeah, it's uh, a funny situation at Man United at the minute. He does find himself seemingly under weekly pressure, Solskjaer, at the moment. But I guess, I mean, if they win tonight, that's the first three Champions League games this season won. Invariably, I think it's happened on a very small amount of occasions that a team has won their first three games and not gone through to the knockout stages. So that automatically takes a little bit of the pressure off, doesn't it, Tom? Yeah, it does. Um, interesting what Ian would say there. Less glory, glory, United, more boring, boring, Man United. I'm to say that for <laughs> um, I, I just, yeah, it, it does take the pressure off. But like you say, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is like a yo-yo. You know, one second he is the messiah and he's going to be the best, you know, he's the best Premier League manager since Alex Ferguson, um, including, you know, Pep Guardiola and Jürgen Klopp is better than all of them. And then the next, he's, um, he's the worst thing to happen to Man United uh, ever. So, you know, I, I, I just... For me, it comes down to, to the, the fan base. You know, I, I do think, um, I'm probably going to get a, a lot of trouble for saying this, but I think the United fans can be quite fickle. Um, and, you know, that no. does impact on the team's performances. <laughs> um, are you disagreeing with me, Jim? Um, I, I just think it's, um, you know, this happened with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer last season. Uh, people were calling for his head for the first probably, you know, 10, 12 games. And then mm. he puts a run together and he always just seems to do that at the right time. You know, he, he'll, he'll be struggling and then all of a sudden they'll go on, a, you know, a few wins on the bounce and, and all of a sudden things are looking much, much rosier for him. Um, and, you know, that's happened for a couple of seasons now. So, um, yeah, I think, again, I expect them to win tonight. And, and if they do win tonight, then um, some of the pressure's eased. But... They need to take that into the next game in the Premier League, um, which is ultimately where where the real test is. I think it's a tough one. It's Everton they've got this weekend, so you know mm. it's, it's going to be a tough game for them. Um, and if they can get a result tonight, get a result at Everton, you know all of a sudden things are looking really rosy again for them. I think none of us can claim to be experts on Turkish football. Stop. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, well, actually, <laughs> no, so, no. I mean, I'm, I'm an expert on Turkish kebabs. <laughs> oh, close enough. I mean, I think we can probably say that Istanbul uh, probably had a, a similarly inauspicious start to their season as Manchester United. Manchester United find themselves in 15th in the table, which seems a crazy thing to say at this stage. Um, Istanbul are currently 7th in their respective league. There's a few familiar faces that could potentially line up. Raphael, the ex Manchester United fullback, he currently plays for them. He's likely to start tonight. Martin Skirtle, the ex-Liverpool defender, he features as well. And Demba Barr as well, who I was 100% convinced had retired. How old uh, he, is he now? I think he's 408. Uh, <laughs> and, his, and his knees went about 15 years ago as well, so I've no idea how he's still playing. But he's going to start up front for Istanbul tonight. I mean, even with those names that we recognise, it is quite difficult 
to see any real potential banana skin here. I mean, we, we have to add in the typical cliche of when you play a Greek or a Turkish side in Greece or Turkey, it's a cauldron. But I suppose even now with the lack of fans in the stadium, that's kind of out the window a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you, when you read the... Um the team sheet it looks like one of those teams on fifa from like when you're playing fifa 2006 you know years <laughs> later it's just uh, it's like that um but yeah and, and i think that as you mentioned it's a very important point actually about the fans not being in the ground because um you know turkish uh, turkish teams you know, particularly like galatasaray uh, especially you know they've always relied on it being a hostile atmosphere and 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 without that it's it is just a, a straightforward it's a much more straightforward game isn't it when you haven't got people sort of lobbing stuff on the pitch and hurling mm. abuse at you from the uh, from the sidelines that's that's not members of your own team uh then um you know it's yeah, it is going to make for a more pleasant experience for the players i imagine to uh, to concentrate on the game and man united should win surely they should win but um yeah will it be the tonic well i, guess, I don't know we'll find out um but hopefully uh, hopefully for their sake it I is i fully expect this game to, to have the feel and look of a pre-season friendly um but i am always wrong <laughs> so you know watch this space for <laughs> for that to happen I think that's a fair shout actually Tom <laughs> there's a few absentees for Manchester United tonight as well Jesse Lingard he's not travelled uh, but he hasn't featured at all for Manchester United so far this season I don't think uh, Tellez is also not travelling he's unavailable after recently testing positive for coronavirus and Eric Bailly remains sidelined as well but that's nothing compared to Istanbul's injury worries they've got five first team regulars out at the moment which Again, points to a Manchester United victory tonight. We'll have a full review of those games on tomorrow's podcast, so make sure you click subscribe now so you don't miss any of that episode. You'll get the new show as soon as it's ready in your podcasting inbox. We're going to flick our attention back to the domestic league next because our floodlight focus today is all about West Brom, and we'll talk about the baggies next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily and we're going to wrap up today's podcast with our floodlight focus feature which today is looking at West Bromwich Albion and we're talking to Sarah from Proud Baggies. How are you doing Sarah? I'm good, thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm surprised you say that after the game this week, but we'll get on to that very shortly. Well, I'm an optimist. <laughs> good, good to hear. Um, so we should probably start with a little bit of an explanation as to who Proud Baggies are exactly and what it is you do. Yeah, well, I'm Sarah. I'm from the LGBT supporter group for West Bromwich Albion, which is what Proud Baggies are. There's a few hundred of us. Not everybody is. LGBT plus, so it's people who are LGBT or our allies. Mainly, we we meet to talk about football. So we're all spread around the world. We've got supporters in America, in Austria, for all sorts of various reasons. We're proud baggies because we're proud of being baggies fans, even now, I promise. And we're proud (laughs) baggies because we're LGBT. Now, football and LGBT issues aren't something that, unfortunately seem to go hand in hand still in 2020. I mean, we're yet to see the first openly gay professional footballer still in his playing days. Do you come up against much opposition for what you do and the campaigns you try to run? I'll be honest with you, no. I think that what we face is sometimes some ignorance and ignorance isn't 
always and rarely in fact from a from a bad place we I think the worst thing we face is people who've never really realised that they are interacting with LGBT people before, asking the question why. So we'll get fans who are like, why do you need a special LGBT supported group? We're all Albion. And actually what that does is, is open doors for conversation. And people are receptive and they're open and we only need to talk a bit about the fact that there's no out LGBT football. There's lots of out LGBT footballers, so there's no out male footballers. And talk about the fact that there's no, like, the facilities and, and the sense of safety and security that people have come into the match. And you quickly turn people from being ignorant into allies and friends because ultimately mm. football's about community. And when you talk about your community and your need for community, people can connect with that. Is this something, I mean, it's probably very ignorant of me, but is this something that's quite unique to West Brom in terms of the Premier League? Or do these organisations exist for pretty much most of the clubs up and down the league. Yeah, not at all. In fact, I might be getting this wrong. I think every Premier League team now, now that Watford's been relegated. No, Watford has one. Sorry, Watford. I think every Premier League team now has an LGBT supporters group. And so it's growing. It's grown over the past four, five years. And, and the clubs are really supportive. I think we see more and more fan initiatives, not just about LGBT issues. We've got groups like Apple and Albion at the baggies that are around working with black and minority ethnic communities around the Albion. And I think we see more of an understanding from clubs that your, your fans are diverse and your communities around you are diverse as well. And the more you can support that, the better. And it's all the way up and down the leagues as well. There's non-league LGBT groups. And we meet up before matches. Well, we used to meet up before matches. We support football together, both as fans of different teams, but also trying to make our clubs more welcoming and inclusive. Let's talk about the football then, because we were saying on yesterday's podcast that the game against Fulham earlier this week was, well, it felt like a relegation six-pointer already. Mm -hmm. When you, as as a West Brom supporter, did it feel like that had the same level of significance as we were putting on it? I mean, it was dire. I I think the problem is that, yes, of course, it felt significant. We've come out of a couple of half-decent results a few weeks before we looked like we might even beat Chelsea. So something's going on. And as a supporter, I suppose you, you see your team in a different eyes, obviously. There's something else going on. It's not just... Mm. There's some really good players in that squad. Slav looked different on the line. You've had players go that supposedly you didn't know about. It looks like something's going on in the back end of the club. And when that's happening, you always know you're in trouble. You mentioned Slavin Bilic. I thought his language was really interesting after the game. It was almost as if he'd given up already do you think he's going to be in the job for the long term or is he going to be one of the well one of the first out the door in terms of the sack race i think he's i think he's gonna go and to me that's sad some people i know think that he lacks it now and that he's got us here but he's not doing what's needed but i mean what do you do with the budget he's had and and the ability to bring talent in. I think he's done a great job in retaining the team we had last year, and it's like peddling on the spot, really. We've managed to retain our loan signings, the ones that were good. We've brought a couple of new players in, but in reality, how are you meant to play Premier League on a league on budget? I'm not sure Slav can do much more. You know, you go to watch a friendly at West Brom, and Slav and Village is storming up and down the lines like a DFA Cup final. So to see him like this at Fulham, yeah, it was bad signs all around, I think. What are the positives then? It all seems a little bit writing on the wall at the moment, but are there any positives to take out of the football club? I mean, we're in the Premiership. <laughs> <laughs> Gets to be on match of the day. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there's lots of more going on because we can't be there. And I think, you know, the impact of coronavirus on being a fan, you're, you're a community. And I think that one of the positives is looking forward to that happening. 
uh, we play better in the championship. I mean, we've got to start embracing this one. Uh, and we made some good signings and some good investments. One question I would ask is, with, with West Brom, whenever I've been at a match where West Brom are, are usually opposition, when I've seen them, they've always had a very vocal support. Um, mm. and, and it seems to me that, are they suffering from not having fans in the ground? Because when you look at the back end of the championship last year, obviously it was, it was touch and go to, to get in that automatic promotion place when there were no fans in the ground. And then so far this season, obviously no fans in the ground and things haven't been going great. I mean, is that is that a big miss for West Brom, the, 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 the vocal support that the team get? Uh, I mean, I have to say, yeah, because <laughs> I believe that we do something for the team. But to be honest as well, our fans are very vocal. We can be vocally very critical of the team. And particularly Johnston, the goalkeeper, he gets a lot of sticks from the fans and he's been a, a rock. I think we'd be a lot worse off if it hadn't been for some of his, his shot stopping. And I can only imagine the flack he'd be getting from our fans, to be honest. Of course, it would make a difference. It would lift the team at the points. You know, they just put their heads down at Fulham and that was ridiculous how quickly they conceded that second goal. Maybe, but I'd like to think so. I'm not, I'm not 100% certain. Sarah, well, good luck for the rest of the season. Fingers crossed you stay in the Premier League. Uh, Where can people find out more from about West Brom's uh, proud baggies if they want more information and want to maybe join up with you? We'd love, we'd love as many members as possible. Uh, You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Proud Baggies. We've got a website. And we've also got a really active WhatsApp group. So if you're a West Brom fan and you want to join along, just drop a message in in the Facebook and you can get added to our WhatsApp. There's a link in there. Nice one, Sarah. Absolute pleasure to speak to you. Lovely. Thank you very much. See you later. If you're a blogger or a vlogger or a fanzine editor or just a fan who wants to feature in Floodlight Focus talking about your team, you can get in touch via social media at The Sports Social on Twitter, The Sports Social on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram as well, Sports Social Official, or just head to the website where there's loads of football goodies, www.sports-social.co.uk. I don't know why I did the www. then. It's like it's not like it's a new thing, the internet, <laughs> is it? <laughs> it reminds me of that scene out of Gavin Stacey where World Wide Web. <laughs> All the W's. Uh, right, that is it for today's podcast. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank you. Nice one, Tom. Cheers, Jim. And we'll see you tomorrow for another dose of football on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.